FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. And pulled in their long lane driveway uh, up, up to the house. And of course, I had my spotlight on looking around to see what I could see. And of course, I saw nothing. But when I got out of the car, uh, they were waiting on me at the door. The people that lived there were waiting on me at the door. And when I got out of the car, there was uh, a pretty strong ammonia smell is the first thing that I noticed, you know. And I thought how peculiar that was. And uh, kind of put it aside for the moment and met the people at the house who were... This is Sasswat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio. And... We are still in the throes of Small Town Monsters Month, our first uh, entirely themed month on Sasswhat. And I, I did want to say up front on this episode, for the last year, our biggest complaint from listeners of Sasswhat, aside from the crickets, has been, <laughs> has been the general length of the show. So I did want to say, um, I think starting in June, we're going to extend the length of, length of the show occasionally. It's not going to be, I don't think every single episode is going to be an hour or longer, but we will be doing longer shows. And um, coming this summer, Mark and I have something really cool planned. Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but I'll say look for a video version of Sasswhat. Uh, an actual video production version of Sasswhat on a much smaller scale than Sasswhat, much shorter. But I don't want to call it Sasswhat TV or anything because that kind of stuff drives me crazy because yeah. it's not TV. Um, <laughs> but that's that's kind of the, the, the thing that we're kind of kicking around right now. But there will be longer episodes of Sasswhat. This is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, sorry to disappoint, but... Uh, look for those to start up hopefully mid-June, something like that. So hopefully that will deter any of our um, yeah. fans who, who aren't big into the whole half-hour show format yeah. or just want more of us for some reason. <laughs> but but for today, it'll be short and we're going to crank the crickets yeah. to, to 11. Yeah, crank so, those crickets. That gives you a lot of incentive to keep listening. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, so I want to talk about the Minerva Monster. Um, we are, geez, where are we at right now? We are two weeks out when we're recording this from the release of the movie. Uh, the movie just went to press today. So the DVDs, Blu-rays, they're all being done. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pimp this on this episode. Uh, there's a, a complete soundtrack, uh, very limited run of the soundtrack that is serious. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's being printed up. So we'll have a very limited print run of the soundtrack. If you want to order any of those things, pre-order them, you can go to grassmangear.com to pre-order the soundtrack. I'm not even sure if it's going to be up on the site. I think it will be, but I know for sure that, that that is uh, one of our ways of thanking Brandon Dalo yes. for his score for the movie. Cause uh, I really think it's a special kind of score that he put together and it was his first film score 
And um, wow, we wanted to are do you something. serious? Yeah, his yeah. first. It's his first film score. Holy so. cow! Okay. So, Mark, you've seen the movie, and um, obviously, I told you up front that you were you're biased. So I can't, you know, I can't get too <laughs> excited over your opinion on the movie. But if you want to give our listeners a quick rundown of what you thought of the movie, you, you're you should feel free. Oh, definitely. Well, let me be, just begin by saying that I've seen a lot of Bigfoot programming, movies and TV and so forth. And, you know, there's certain things that you have come to expect as you're watching a Bigfoot show. You're going to see some type of reenactment. You know, at some point, the creature will be revealed, whether it's a costume or CGI or what have you. And there's going to be some jump scares and there's going to be some scary soundtrack and, and howling creatures and so forth. Minerva Monster goes in a completely different direction and lets the story be central um, from the mouths of many of the people who experienced it. And I just have to say that um, I'm really, really excited to see what the public reaction is going to be because it just, to me, is a whole different way of doing, you know, uh, unexplained uh, putting a, a, an unexplained program out there. It it treats the viewer like they have a brain, like they're intelligent, like you can make some conclusions of your own instead of spelling it out. And um, I don't want to say a whole lot more in terms of detail until maybe mm-hmm. after the movie's in wide release, but I think even some of the techniques that are used are really, really well thought out. And the soundtrack that you mentioned before it's amazing to me to learn that that's Brandon's first soundtrack because it's um, it absolutely meshes with the material in an excellent way. So I'm really excited and will be promoting the movie, not just because it's Seth, <laughs> not just because it's Small Town Monsters, but it is intelligent cryptozoological entertainment, and I think um, it's time for that. Glowing review. Um, so, yeah, there are screener copies of the movie out there. Hopefully, we'll start seeing some other reviews pop up here soon. Um, and hopefully, they'll be as good as yours. That would make me feel good. <laughs> um, but the movie, yeah, comes out two weeks from two weeks from Saturday, actually, which is crazy, man. Eight? Yeah. Eight years. Or eight years. Eight months. feels like eight years. Eight years eight in mo- the making. <laughs> eight months in the making. Uh, and we'll talk about all that production stuff on the next episode. But this episode, we wanted to talk about the Minerva monster case. And I wanted to dive into some of the things that got left out of the movie or just didn't have a spot in the movie. And there's actually a whole lot of stuff related to the case. Um, But real quickly for anyone who doesn't know about the case, um, which by now I've talked about it like 30 times on this show, there's uh, a uh, family that lived outside of Minerva just west of Minerva um, on the Lincoln Highway. And during the summer of 1978, they had frequent sightings of an upright hairy creature that they came to accept almost as a a family pet. And the uh, creature also was very into throwing rocks at their house. So there's a lot of stuff, even in the movie, we talk a lot about the rock throwing and that kind of thing. Um, but some things that aren't in the movie, something automatically that I thought of that, that isn't in the movie is 
So, so uh, Herbert Caton was the father uh, in the Caton family, and as far as I know, he's the only one that isn't listed on the the police report as having seen the creature the night that the Catons called the police. He's not listed in there. They don't really talk about him all that much in the movie, even though he was a central character in the story. Um, I'm not even sure he had any direct sightings himself. But for some reason in the early reports of the case, there's this constant mention of the fact that Herbert had just cleared out the strip pit behind their house. Behind the Caton's house, there's this little strip pit, and Herbert had kind of cleared it out, and I guess so they could, you know, toss scraps and stuff down in it. And he'd cleared it of shrubbery and stuff, and and apparently... um, the the newspaper people and maybe even Ron Schaffner thought that this creature had actually been living down in the strip pit. And when he cleared it out, it ticked the thing off maybe hmm. towards the family. Um, but, you know, it's it's also one of those pieces of the story that to me read kind of like um, a little bit, a little hyperbole. It's it, hyperbolic, I guess. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like this creature would have actually been hanging around because of a tiny section of the woods right behind their house being cleared out it doesn't make any sense for the thing to be down in there especially because that hill we've hiked up that hill and the hill goes way up behind their house it's a very thickly wooded um hill and it would be a great hiding spot for any any kind of animal and you know judging from the deer skulls we found up there i mean obviously uh there are a lot of creatures still around in that area deer you know not necessarily bigfoots but you never know (laughs) um and so anyway the the we also talk in the movie about how you the the catons would constantly see these two smaller creatures uh accompanying the the big one and a lot of people uh said that they were panthers or you know black cats and even Mm -hmm. howie in the movie refers to them as cats right um we interviewed a guy named uh scott finnegan who had a sighting two weeks uh within two weeks of the caton sightings before the caton sightings when he was eight years old he saw this upright creature uh and two smaller quadrupedal animals chase him and a friend out of the woods um, behind his friend's house. And he talked about how the two smaller ones weren't necessarily cat-like. They just looked like big balls of fur. Um, and in f- if if you are aware of those reports from the 70s where they're describing the creatures as being just covered in fur, kind of makes sense. Like it, it almost seems like they're two smaller you know, versions of that bigger one. So anyway, those are a couple little things that aren't necessarily in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think the fact that the father cleared out that strip pit is kind of cool. Like maybe he did disturb, you know, where the creature was sleeping or something, and that's why it started coming around so much. I don't know. Or maybe it had been there all the, all along, but because the the undergrowth was so thick, they just never noticed it. Mm-hmm. You just but, didn't like the fact that it was <laughs> its uh, its area was being messed with in that way, which sort of explains potentially the the rock throwing as Mm -hmm. maybe some kind of retaliation although then it's interesting the thing that uh how he said about the rocks being thrown back marking the rocks and having the same ones being thrown back i mean it's details like that that really you know get your imagination fired up listening to him calmly recount these things yeah 
Yeah, for sure. So, do you have any, because you've actually seen the movie, do you have any questions based on watching the movie? Well, I do. I think the one one question that immediately comes to mind is, you know, talk about the uh, situation where uh, how Caton and his friends actually jumped the monster. Yeah. Because that that went by really quickly, I felt like, in the, the movie. I wanted more on that. So what uh, else can you tell us? started coming around, and we seen a... We seen it walking on, on the banks out there, and like I said, we thought it was just some guy messing around. So one night it was messing around, and it was really bothersome. You know, wanted attention, or just, and my brother, myself, and two or three of our friends, we chased this thing down. I'll tell you that it goes by really quickly because we have nothing on it. And it's one of those really frustrating aspects of the story that I don't know what to think of it. Um, I think Howie is an honest man. But this story might have been embellished or exaggerated with time. You know, maybe just maybe his memory about the story. Just I don't know. So this is the way he tells it is two years prior. And this is in the police report that he recounted this happening. Um, So in the in in the movie, he talks about how him and three of his friends were walking around the strip pond and they saw a creature down in the embankment, the, the Minerva monster. They see it down in embankment and they decide, hey, let's jump on this thing. So they chase it down. They jump on it. And the creature and these four kids getting basically a wrestling match. The creature bites into the back of one of the kids and then takes off running, right? Takes mm-hmm. off into the night. It's gone. Well, according to Howie, they called the police. Police came out. There was a picture taken. Um, of the of the bite marks, and this was all documented and everything. I, I I think I actually said this in the sound clip during the last episode where I was playing the uh, the talk at the library. But there is no police report that I've been able to find. They may have called Minerva Police um, instead of Stark County Police. There was no police report that I could find. There's no pictures of the bite marks. Um, that that story is so cool that I really hope it's true. Like I, I really hope that that part of the story is true. Mm -hmm. Um, there were a lot of sightings that, that didn't make it into the movie. Um, Evelyn Caton or not Evelyn, Rebecca Caton had a sighting at that same strip pond of the creature and two smaller ones walking on the other side of the pond from where she was. Um, there was a dive team. And I think I told you about this, according to, uh, an article or something. I can't remember where I read this. There was a dive team, but what it mm-hmm. seems like it actually was, was just one guy with a scuba suit came out and found that there were caves underneath the pond, that quarry pond. And they were uh, theorizing that maybe the creature was swimming down under the water, going up in these caves and it lived in there. And that was also based on, according to Howie, that was based on the fact that there was um, hair on, on the uh, surface of the water like big mounds of floating hair Hmm. floating on the surface of the water. So they thought maybe this creature was living down in in the caves. So so supposedly though, at one point a diver went down and did examine those caves. Um, So yeah, that's, I mean, that was a long story short, but, or a long story long, 
<laughs> but that, that's essentially why there isn't more about that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, while it is a really cool part of the story, and I did want it in there, I can't find much to back it up um, beyond his word. And and I believe again, I believe everything Howie has told me. Mm-hmm. I just if I don't have anything that says this definitively happened, police were called in, then I almost have to believe maybe with time that story has become uh, kind of exaggerated or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh man. Another question that I have is, Oh, uh, the, I just thought that the police sketches that they have, uh, yeah. especially the one is just so very strange. Mm-hmm. It's just not the typical Bigfoot shape. You know, right. and especially sort of the the nondescript face. There is something really eerie about that. Now, but you, but they have said that they've seen eyes, right? I mean, a reflection of it's, eyes. This is one of those discrepancies where, like, sometimes they're talking about how they could see its face, and it's a typical Bigfoot face, and then you'll read the reports or the newspaper articles from the seventies, and they talk about how. It it was very nondescript. It was so covered in hair, you know, kind of like a Momo type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of depends on who you're talking to. Howie told us that it looked like a a uh, Bigfoot, you know, like a classic kind of Bigfoot. He could recall its face and, and that kind of stuff. Its face wasn't so covered in fur that you couldn't make out anything, according to Howie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were going anywhere else with that question. Not really, but just to say that there was some peculiarities about it, like the shorter bowed legs. Stubby legs. Yeah, that really sort of validated multiple witnesses seeing the same thing. You know, just enough weird detail that really seemed to corroborate the reports. Yeah, the other weird part of that, the description, is how its hands are always held palms outward. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, everyone described it that way, and Denny Haas actually drew it that way. Yeah, uh, in the witness sketch. Um, yeah, it, it supposedly was just it's it would walk with its hands held uh, palms in front of it and kind of at its sides, almost as if to say, you know, I'm no, I mean you no harm, kind right. of thing is what people theorized. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was seen doing that by almost every member of the Caton family. And yeah, it is odd. It's got this like hooded kind of feature to the forehead, and um, in that witness sketch, you it, it is almost you know you can't make out anything. You can't make out eyes, nose, mm-hmm. any of that stuff. Um, but I don't think it was quite that dramatic. I from from what I've learned talking to witnesses um, now, Scott Finnegan did kind of say that it was just a giant ball of fur. I mean, he called it the hairy witch. Right. That's what he calls it in the movie. Right. Yes. Um, and yeah, and more than once. The first time I wasn't sure what he was saying, and then he used the phrase again, hairy witch. He seemed very, I, you know, I don't know if that's a, like the, the fear of childhood coming out in his description. Because he was, what, eight when he had he was, that He was eight years old, yeah. Or how you how you arrive at that perception, you know. Well, to me, it's similar to how Howie called it the uh, old man in the woods, the old hermit living in the woods. I mean, to me, he called it the hairy witch. Um, he called the two smaller ones. Now, this isn't meant to be comedic, but he called the two smaller ones the two hairy balls. Um, and he said it throughout that interview to the point where it actually became comedic. And we had to 
get fancy with the editing. (laughs) Um, But he referred, like, that's what he was saying. I had him explain what he meant by that. And what he was saying is that they just looked like two um, mounds of... I'm trying to think of something other than ball. Okay. Uh, it looked like globe a giant or right, globe, <laughs> globe of fur, um, completely, you know, indistinguishable, no discernible features running around on four legs. And I think actually Scott didn't recall it running around on four legs. I think he just recalled it as being uh, bipedal, actually. Mm-hmm. And he thought maybe the front legs were hunched down. I think this is what it was. He recalled that the front legs were kind of hunched down with that, almost like they weren't touching the ground. Like it was kind of stooped forward, but it wasn't on four legs. Hmm. And again, that's something that's not in the movie because uh, we're limited on time there. But some right. of the, his physical, it, Scott gave a great physical description of it, I thought. The way it walked and all that stuff, um, the way he described the, the movement of the creature was really good, I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forwarding to 2011. Oh, you have Paul Hayes recounting his sighting, and I was just right. wondering where was that sighting in relation to the Caton residence? Yeah, uh, it's East Canton, which is ten miles east of or west of uh, Minerva. But what we found, and there was no way to get this in the movie, but I wish we could have. What we found while we were there is that, you know, I was skeptical of not skeptical of Paul's sighting, but skeptical of the need to put that particular sighting in the movie because it's East Canton. It's not Minerva. It's mm-hmm. outside of there. And we could have just as easily talked to Howie some more about sightings around his house. But um, Paul's sighting took place in a really dense uh, forested area behind, behind his house in East Canton. And while we were there, we discovered that there's this really... Um, deep, wide creek that runs into this section of his property. And I was like, um, I thought, well, first of all, it almost looks like a river. I mean, it's, it's that wide. It's, it's not, I, I don't know if, you know, more like a stream. It's, it's really big. Um, but I, th- I said, where's this run to? And he goes, well, it heads kind of west. And I said, would it run into Minerva? And he said, it would actually, it actually runs into the beaver. What is it? The, the little beaver creek or whatever it's that creek that runs into uh literally runs right behind the caton's house so this stream <laughs> okay essentially connects to the caton's property if you followed it uh, yeah. towards minerva Excellent. um and something else that wasn't in there just because i was in the shot and we it wouldn't have made any sense to have me in the movie i actually showed him he had never seen that sketch that you're talking about of the Minerva monster. Mm-hmm. I showed him that sketch and what he saw in 2011 physically was very similar. The, the differences that he pointed out was the legs weren't stubby like that. He said it was more, you know, classic kind of big, uh, big legs, uh, long legs. And the, the face was slightly more, you know, discernible features. Although he did say that hood came down and did make it difficult to make out the features. Hmm. So it, he thought, though, that there was actually a, a great similarity between the Minerva monster and what he saw in 2011. Having said that, like there are sightings in that section of Ohio on a yearly basis. I mean, you get BFRO reports from that section of Ohio constantly, and it's not far from Carroll uh, County where, in fact, Minerva is partially in Carroll County. And Carroll County had a flap uh, back in 
2000, it might have actually been 2011. There was a flap down there. Um, so that whole area of Ohio constantly sees see sightings. And it's not talked about in the movie, um, but the Catons told us that there are, um, the, their sightings take place all year long. It's not a uh, seasonal thing. They've found what seem to be juvenile footprints in the snow outside their house. Um, they've never found the bigger footprints in the snow outside their house, but they found these what look like child footprints coming out of the mm. woods and running right up behind their house. Wow. So has the nature of their sightings changed over time? Because there seem to be, as they tell the story, uh, kind of a link between various family members. And, you know, the chances are, if you know, like the, the mom, for example, is around. Then back then, there, you know, the chances were good that they'd have some kind of experience. Is that, yeah. Have those patterns changed since the family's changed? Or, you know, it's funny because, like, when I talked to Rebecca on the phone, Howie's sister, mm-hmm. she, she would not agree to come on camera. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that she's not, you know, she's not physically able to for one reason. Okay. But also, I just don't think she wants anything to do with the story anymore. Okay. But, she told me that the sighting stopped back in the eighties when Evelyn passed away, when her mother passed away. And she mm-hmm. felt that the creature was connected to her mother. It wanted some, you know, it wanted something to do with the mother. It was very curious about the mother. Um, she felt like it might've actually been protective of the mother. And when it passed away, when, when her mother passed away, she, it just quit coming around. That was Rebecca's take on it. Now, Rebecca might have also been telling me that because she didn't want me to come down there and go Bigfoot crazy on her property, you know, start screaming and doing wood knocks or something behind yeah. her house. Because um, that doesn't align with what Howie's told me, which is that the creature's still there. You know, they see it still. The kids, by the way, like you'll see in the making of documentary that I put together, um, there's a shot of me and Howie's. Uh, daughter, I think it's his youngest daughter, in the woods behind their house after dark. And it was me and her and Alan actually went up in the woods with night vision. And we we shot some uh, footage of us, us actually up there. And she was telling me that you'll see the eyes up in the woods constantly. She was actually surprised we didn't see them that night. Wow. Um, so she said that's the <laughs> the main thing you'll see in the woods there is the, is the red eyes kind of watching. So... You know, I have to say there's that one shot in the movie where you see a deer. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? The eye shine of the deer for like a second. No. It's a, ni- it's a night shot. And I was like, wow. Because <laughs> it fooled I don't me even for know, a second. Really? I don't even know if I caught that. I don't, okay. think, I don't think I caught that or Alan caught that. You okay. might have found. What if that's the monster? How do Maybe. you know? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Everyone is, go buy I the movie. It. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Everyone go buy the movie. You might actually find the monster. Yes. It, uh, it's, it's an exterior shot. It, I think it's one that's that was done with in the night vision, you know, with that filter. Mm-hmm. And you just see a deer look right into the camera, and it jumps and takes off. It's pretty – it's cool, wow. though. It's really cool. Yeah. I don't think I caught that. Yeah, we, we, um, we were up there on – it was into the fall because I know all the leaf cover had the leaf canopy had come down. So we were up there probably in late October, I think, and um, that was a real thrill actually walking mm-hmm. around on that hill with the night vision oh, and stuff. Yeah, so, it would. Be. Um, and you know, obviously, we found 
parts of dead deer and that was cool but you know we mm-hmm. ta- we ran into some guys that were back in the woods in literally in the woods on that strip mine hill uh that had never heard of the minerva monster <laughs> and they live there and are wandering around the woods behind yeah. the gate and so on. wow that's awesome <laughs> yeah you know and as simple as it sounds one thing that i just really love about seeing the film is that for me this was a case that i'd only read about and now to be able to actually see, you know, what do the what does a strip mine actually look like? What's the how steep was the hill behind their house? You know, how close is it? And when you see all of it, it just all makes sense in a new mm-hmm. way. You know, like physically, you're absolutely close enough for something to you know be somewhat concealed and yet throw rocks at the house. It just get, all adds up in that you'll way. You'll get some. Uh, you'll get some really cool looks into the property on the behind the scenes thing too, because um, there's a lot of, unfortunately we didn't shoot a lot of behind the scenes footage of us us actually doing production work, like filming interviews, but there was a lot of footage of us wandering around the Caton's house and around the property and around the strip mine and up by the hill. And, and all that stuff is in the behind the scenes, which you'll, you'll actually have to buy the DVD or Blu-ray to see that because it's not going to be attached to the digital uh, version on Vimeo, but um, hopefully people enjoy the the BTS just for that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm trying to think if we want to go anywhere else with this case stuff because we're getting we're getting down to the end of our time here. But right. I think I mean this story has been covered in depth on like a dozen interviews mm-hmm. um, and newspaper art- articles and stuff, and then obviously we go into it in the movie. But there's a lot that hasn't been talked about still. I, I tend to forget some of it, honestly, when I'm talking sure. about the case, um, unless I have like something in front of me, but, well, I um, think that's a testament to how well documented this case really is. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that comes out of the film for me is that you, you have people who, you know, for like, um, Barbara Galloway, for example, and, uh, Jim Shannon, you know, these are people with really, you know, they 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 have nothing particularly to gain by saying that they think there's something to the story, and yet they're willing to come on camera with you and talk about their experiences. So there are a lot of facets to the story, and a lot right. of people involved who um, are pretty convinced that uh, the Catons are honest in what they're reporting. Right. Um, I should throw a plug in there grassmangear.com is where you can pre-order the movie vimeo.com uh you'll have to look up small i can't remember what our channel name is on vimeo i think it's just small town monsters if you do a search for that you should be able to find the movie that's where you'll be able to digitally purchase or rent the movie i think actually it might just be rental i'm not sure how this works yet with vimeo but you'll be able to get it through there on may 16th if you want to be uh watching that on the day it comes out but the DVD and stuff will be worth your time, too. And then the soundtrack will be out that day, too. And then there's T-shirts, which are awesome. They look like a 1970s T-shirt. And I am in love with them. They're actually right behind me. So if you're watching this right now... Oh, boy. Here it comes. Yeah. This is great for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> See that? Our shift started at 10. Yes. All right. Let's wrap this up. Head out into my area. I got a call to uh, go to a house on uh, Lincoln Street East, which is Route 30, US 30, 
And when I got out of the car and met the people at the house... Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at SethBreedsLove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. But it probably weighed a good four to 500 pounds, I'd say, maybe more, you know, muscular, because you can see...